The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that tallies the wins and losses of everyday history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're talking about the day when American presidential candidates first invaded the small screen, giving voters a whole new reason to dislike politics. The day was September 26th, 1960. Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy squared off in the first televised presidential debate in American history. It was held in a Chicago studio and broadcast live on CBS to roughly 70 million viewers across the country. That's 2 million more people than would actually cast ballots that year. As the first event of its kind, the debate was heavily promoted and was aired during prime time in place of a new episode of The Andy Griffith Show. The evening's questions focused on domestic policy, with each candidate offering their stance on issues such as labor, education, health care, the economy, and the Cold War. The outcome of the first debate, and of the other three Kennedy-Nixon debates that followed it, had a direct effect on the election that November. Nixon had been the frontrunner prior to the first debate, but after a poor showing on live TV, he lost his lead to Kennedy, who then went on to win the election. That was the first evidence of the powerful role television could play in the democratic process, and the realization forever changed the way presidential campaigns were run. That may sound like hyperbole, 
But the reality is that prior to 1960, most voters never had a chance to see how candidates looked, behaved, and spoke in person. There had been live debates between candidates, and some candidates had appeared individually on television. But for the most part, the main component of a successful presidential campaign was still to hit the trail and stump for votes at prearranged events in strategically chosen towns. That traditional approach helped local voters to get a better read on a candidate and to learn more about their opinions. But the majority of Americans didn't live at whistle stops along a campaign trail. The advent of TV gave those voters a chance to see presidential hopefuls right there in their living rooms. And better still, the intimate nature of televised debates often revealed sides of the candidates that you wouldn't typically see at a crowded public appearance. The presidential candidates who ushered in this change were well-suited to the task, with each embodying a different approach to political campaigning. Representing the new school was John F. Kennedy, a Democratic senator from Massachusetts whose good looks and optimistic views made him an ideal guinea pig for the first televised debate. And representing the old guard was Republican candidate Richard M. Nixon, the then-current vice president to Dwight D. Eisenhower. Although he was only four years older than JFK, Nixon's stern demeanor had earned him a reputation as a bit of a curmudgeon. If the question was which candidate would you most want to get a beer with, the answer was not Richard Nixon. However, the presidential race wasn't a popularity contest. At least not yet. And Nixon was actually the favorite to win. He was more of a known quantity than Kennedy having served as Eisenhower's VP for a full two terms. Ahead of the debate, Nixon led Kennedy by six percentage points in national polls. He seemed like a shoe-in, and at the time, it was hard to imagine how something like a TV debate could possibly change that. You can see that overconfidence in the way Nixon prepared for the debate, or rather in how he didn't prepare. Both candidates were invited to a pre-production meeting where they could tour the studio and ask questions ahead of the historic telecast, but only Kennedy took CBS up on that offer. Nixon opted instead to carry on with campaigning right up until the day of the debate. His decision was at least partly due to an injury he'd sustained late that summer. He had hurt his knee at a campaign stop in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the bruise eventually got infected. Nixon wound up spending several weeks in a hospital where he lost 20 pounds and fell way behind on his campaigning. After that setback, Nixon tried to make up for lost time by adding more stops to his schedule and taking as few breaks as possible. He held to that demanding regiment even after contracting the flu at an appearance in St. Louis. Meanwhile, Kennedy flew to Chicago a few days early to meet with Don Hewitt the producer and director of the debate telecast. They went over the ground rules of the event and discussed practical matters like where the candidates would stand and where they should look when speaking. Once all his questions were answered, Kennedy checked into a nearby hotel and spent the weekend preparing with his aides. On the evening of September 26th, Nixon and Kennedy arrived at the studio in downtown Chicago and began prepping for the first televised debate between two major-party presidential candidates. True to form, Nixon got off to a bad start by banging his injured knee as he stepped out of the car. He was also still running a low fever from his recent bout with the flu and was exhausted from another grueling afternoon of campaigning. However, 
Even though he was clearly in dire straits, Nixon held his own in the debate, at least when it came to outlining and defending his policies. It probably helped that both candidates put forward strikingly similar objectives, including the need to strengthen national security to combat the threat of communism. Nixon held himself together so well that most radio listeners either thought he had won the debate, or at least that it was too close to call. But that wasn't the case for those who had watched the debate on television. They declared Kennedy the winner by a pretty wide margin. That difference of opinion can be largely accounted for by the candidate's on-air presence. Kennedy had done his homework and knew to look directly into the camera as he answered the panelists' questions, as if he were speaking straight to the viewers at home. In contrast, Nixon looked to the side to address the journalists who were asking the questions. That would have been the right strategy in a traditional town hall debate, but on TV, it made Nixon come off as shifty and nervous, as if he couldn't look the public in the eye. It was a costly mistake for a politician who had already earned the nickname Tricky Dick. Still, it wasn't just Nixon's body language that turned off potential voters. It was also the fact that he looked terribly unwell. His light gray suit blended in with the backdrop of the set, and even worse, it also matched his own pale complexion. Kennedy, on the other hand, looked tanned and well-rested. In close-ups, he was clean-shaven and almost glowing, thanks to a pre-air touch-up from the team he'd brought along to do his makeup. Nixon didn't have a personal stylist, but he had been offered the services of the network's senior makeup artist. The vice president declined, though choosing instead to cover his fast-growing beard stubble with some cheap pancake makeup from a nearby drugstore. It was not a good decision, especially when Nixon began to sweat under the hot studio lights, causing the powder to drip right off his face. Reactions to the vice president's on-screen appearance were universally bad, with a common theme being his close resemblance to a corpse. CBS president Frank Stanton said Nixon, quote, looked like warmed-over death. And Chicago Mayor Richard Daley echoed the idea, reportedly exclaiming, quote, My God, they've embalmed him before he even died. Even Nixon's mother was taken aback. In his memoir, he revealed that she called him right after the debate to ask if he was as sick as he looked. The first debate was chalked up as a clear win for Kennedy. But to his credit, Nixon came across much better in the following three debates. Unfortunately for him, none of those events drew nearly as many viewers as the first one. As a result, many Americans headed to the polls with a rather shabby impression of Nixon in mind. When the dust settled, Kennedy had won 49.7% of the popular vote, just barely edging out the 49.6% won by Nixon. It was one of the narrowest wins in U.S. presidential history, and by most reckonings, it was the televised debates that made it happen. Polls showed that more than half of all voters had been influenced by the debates at least to some degree, while 6% reported that the debates were the deciding factor for how they voted. Televised debates eventually became a fixture of American politics, affecting the results of primary and general elections alike. However, that role wasn't cemented by the so-called Great Debates of 1960. Lyndon B. Johnson assumed the presidency after JFK's assassination, and when he ran for re-election in 1964, 
he declined to participate in any televised debates. Then, during Nixon's second run for the presidency in 1968, he straight up refused to debate his opponent, Hubert Humphrey. Apparently, he had learned his lesson from debating Kennedy and didn't think the risk was worth it. Nixon continued that trend in 1972 when he turned down a debate with Democratic opponent George McGovern. Finally, the debates returned for good in 1976 when Nixon's successor, Gerald Ford, revived the format in his doomed campaign against Jimmy Carter. From there, television quickly became the go-to source for presidential politics, a role that would later be solidified by the rise of cable news networks. These days, televised presidential debates don't move the needle as much as they used to. Voters are more entrenched in their views than ever, and the internet has provided plenty of other ways to get to know candidates. But don't worry, politics fans. Even though the medium may have changed, crafting the right public image and leveraging media exposure is still the way to win elections. Isn't that comforting? I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to drop me a line at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride 
the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.